Hello, and welcome to the Arsenal Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Henry. I'm your other co-host, Matthew. <laughs> uh, you sounded so week... curious, then. <laughs> so, I didn't know if you so were like, there. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello into the void. Um, yeah, but today we are discussing the big film of this week, which is Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Um, kind of a big deal for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I feel like it's... Yeah, it will be. If, since we came back to the podcast, it's our first, like, review of a new Marvel film. Um, did you introduce the podcast? Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> I think my, my short-term memory's gone funny. <laughs> I did, like... The, anyway, yes. Sorry, yes. Sorry, sorry to interrupt your flow. <laughs> uh, we're, all, we're a bit off today, everyone. <laughs> we're going crazy. Um, uh, yeah, but... Yeah, so we do have a podcast, yeah, and we have the Instagram account <laughs> at Marvelous Cinema Podcast doing that again. <laughs> Listen, Chris. Um, yeah, so reviews over there. Oh, we have a review actually for this film uh, written mm-hmm. down. Uh, so if you want to like hear probably less sort of like you know tangent tangential sort of thoughts around the film. Tangential. Uh, yeah, that's a word, right? <laughs> um, it is now. It is now. Uh, let's have a discussion more of an actual, like, uh, I guess, paragraph by paragraph review sort of thing. Uh, mm. That's over there, too. Uh, so, yeah, you're, you're going to get our full thoughts about this in film from every angle. Um, but, yeah, so before that, though, we do have news, which, if you're not familiar, uh, the news at this point in time goes like this because I don't have social media or anything really like that at the moment. Just taking a break. So when I get the news from Matthew, I am doing essentially a live reaction because I just don't know what's happening in the world. Um, so that's very fun. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Is this week a, a controversial week? Anything big or just? Um, there are, there's, there's quite a few little stories, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have to start with something that nobody who ever presents the news wants okay. to have to include on the running order. And that is the very sad news this week that Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman in several mm. beloved projects, has sadly passed away at 66 following mm. a short battle with cancer. Yeah, I did hear about that. That got yeah. to me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's um, a real sort of legend of the, the comic book genre, especially animated. And just across the board, and anything that's needed a voice from Batman, he's been there. I'm pretty sure he even did it live action for um, did, yeah. the... Yeah, one of those um, CW uh, crossover things. Just an icon of, not just Batman, but of of comic book media. Uh, yeah. No, uh, unsurprisingly, a lot of a lot of love pouring in from various stars, like Mark Hamill, who worked with him yeah. quite a lot, um, Tara Strong, various other sort of juggernauts of, of animation and of uh, voice acting. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's very sad news, a voice of many people's childhoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for um, me especially it was... The Arkham games uh, introduced me to his kind of his voice and his take on Batman. Mm. Um, and for me, yeah. it is in my head when I think of, generally speaking, when I think of like just a generic sort of like in my mind in my mind palace like Batman, uh, that voice is the voice I always put to the face. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. it, so it's kind of, and also this is the way he was, the way he like loved the character so much you could tell. And I was just going mm. through his um, his entire like. Philography, I guess, uh, on the internet, and like the amount of like stuff he did for this character, like it's not just like the animated series and the Arkham games. Like it's so much across like it's full like decades, um, and I think he was probably one of the first people to kind of really recognize that Bruce Wayne and Batman should have like different personas. 
um, mm. but not to make it like a caricature sort of thing where I think he really handled that uh, the gruff sort of vigilante voice really well but when he was Bruce Wayne it was it was recognizable but it was it was lighter and it was it felt more kind of playful and I think he mm. was kind of one of the first people to actually do that properly yeah um, which obviously got taken on board by every person from then because it just made sense and um, yeah I think he's yeah he was great and he's a it's a terrible loss really yeah and of course he kind of when from when he started uh, voicing Batman you know he's he's been doing that voice for for as long as several like live action actors have been in the role yeah you know considering he started in the 90s and you know he's still going until going until fairly recently mm-hmm. um, with some active projects he he is the voice of Batman for a lot of people's childhoods like you say and like you say yeah. we sorely missed um, it's kind of difficult to move on to other news after that. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, but we will do. Um, we'll kind of stick with, with DC-related stuff. Um, um, it has been confirmed that Sly Stallone will uh, will return as the voice of King Shark. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And as well, the other one is that the Constantine sequel that we mentioned last week mm-hmm. currently has no script, but the original people involved, so Keanu... The director Francis Lawrence and the writer Akiva Goldsman mm-hmm. uh, are all on board and have been wanting to do this for years. Right. Okay. That's great because, so, um, yeah, I, I've really, I don't know. I think Keanu Reeves in that role, it just kind of makes sense. Um, even though I know there's a lot of, you know, I know that he's I, from what I gather, he's not quite the comic book version. Um, mm. For that, he's not blonde, for example. Yeah. He's not British. But for some reason, whenever whenever I watch that film, I watched it a few times now. I think he, yeah, the the look of that film and his sort of costuming and his his performances, yeah, I think it deserves like another run because it's just so good. Um, mm. Yeah, so I'm happy to hear that it's still going. Um, I was very I was very worried you were going to say, oh, it's been cancelled again. <laughs> oh no, no, it's going ahead. Mm. As far as it's going ahead, the gaining steam, there's a lot of support for it. It's a bit of a cult hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's kind of it's a surprise, but it's a pleasant surprise to see something like a cult hit get a sequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this this news, the first news of it, kind of came before James Gunn took over, so I don't know exactly how much of a say he's had in things. Uh-huh. Um, it'd be interesting to know just how much, um, yeah. but it's exciting that it's going ahead because it's very much like a. Is it nineties or is it early two thousands? I think two thousands. I think it's, yeah, I think it's like two thousand. Four, two thousand five, maybe. Yeah, it's it's very much of that era, and I, I can't wait to see see how exactly they bring that through into to a more modern film. Hmm. And I think as well, like it's kind of can, it can go both ways because it could just be its own standalone, like different universe sort of thing. Yeah. But I could I could imagine it. You know, a, a little bit of a soft reboot can make it work inside of a whatever James Gunn is creating at the moment. Um, so yeah, I, I would be happy if it was by itself, but. It could work, yeah. Yeah, it could, definitely could. Hmm. Um, and speaking of John Wick, um, we've, oh, not John Wick, Keanu. I've spoiled the news, we've got the name the wrong way around. Yeah. Speaking of Keanu, mm-hmm. we have got uh, news regarding John Wick. Uh, so mm-hmm. we've had another trailer, I believe, yep. for John Wick 4. And the John Wick spin-off, Ballerina, starring Anna de Armas, mm-hmm. has uh, begun filming last week. Uh-huh. And it will see both Keanu Reeves and Ian McShane reprise their roles. Oh, okay. Bit of a surprise. Um, yeah. A pleasant one. 
the whole yeah. gang getting back together for that spin-off. Yeah. Is that spin-off a, a, a movie or a TV show? The film. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah. That, I mean, did you, have you seen the trailer? <clears throat> I have. I watched it this morning. Yeah, I... <laughs> I love John Wick so much, man. <laughs> I know, it's so cool. <laughs> I can't mean, wait for that film. Yeah, I mean, there's like... It somehow, with each film, gets gets more neon lights. Um, just more spectacular sets. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it is arguable, and I do kind of agree with the idea that it's kind of a bit detached now from the first film, which is so simple, I guess. And it's just yeah. a simple concept, and it's just a simple, like, revenge uh, tale. But um, I love that it's just it's just grown and grown and grown into this like bizarre world. Um, mm-hmm. This really weird world where people are always having fights in the middle of a rave, um, <laughs> and there's like there's Italian like I don't know hitmen like legions and all this sort of thing. Like there's something about it that's so cool and works so well for me. And I think this trailer just. It just hits all the notes of like what I wanted to see from another entry if they're going to make mm-hmm. one. Like, you got Donnie Yen there doing whatever he's doing. Like, it's, it looks so good. Other news: Netflix have been a little bit busy. Um, so we've got an announced uh, live-action Gears of War film, which will follow um, or will be followed by an adult animated series, oh. and there are the potential for more films and series after that, depending on how successful they are. Um, what else have we got? I can't remember if this is Netflix, I think it might be, but there's an untitled Avatar The Last Airbender film, believed to be animated, which will release in 2025 in theatres. Uh, and the other piece of Netflix news... Oh, okay. Um, right. Where has it gone? Um, they are rumoured to want Greta Gerwig to helm <laughs> the first two Chronicles of Narnia films. Right. That's a interesting choice. I mean... If she wants to do it, yeah, but I don't know. Has Greta Gerwig had a a big does um, Barbie count <laughs> a fantasy film under her belt? <laughs> She's doing Barbie. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm very um, interested to see what Barbie that film is really, because uh, I mean it's just a weird idea. It's just a it's odd that yeah. a filmmaker like her is doing it. Um, yeah, I am looking. I am looking forward to that film. Yeah, actually, cause I, it's just a temptation. I just want to know what it is. <laughs> but yeah, the Avatar news. I've, it's a. Are they making a a series as well, or is that? I was just. I remember there being like some sort of uh, controversy that they were making a live action se- series mm. involving the original creators, but then they left because they weren't. Uh, I guess I don't know following the yeah what they I- were saying. I guess. I remember that too. Um, it was very strange because didn't something very similar happen with the film? Yeah, kinda. I don't think anyone involved in the series was really in the film by yeah. the point of like in production. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I think you're probably what classifies as the Avatar expert here. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I have watched the uh, the series and the the, che- the sequel series, Legend of Korra. Um, yeah. It is great, and it gets better as it goes as well, which is the great thing about it. Um, it sort of builds in a really great way, and I feel like I feel like it works so perfectly in its medium that I don't really... I've never really wanted to see like a, a live action or a reboot sort of thing to it. Yeah. Um, but it is like... I can definitely see it working. That's not like a, a question, really. Um, mm. But I do just kind of... 
it just seems to have so much trouble getting into gear <laughs> that mm-hmm. I'm kind of just, just I kind of just want to leave it at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> just let, let lie. Yeah, I don't want you know more than one bad live action thing to think about when I think about the Avatar series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's understandable, I think. Um, I kind of strangely structured this news in that the big franchise stuff is going to come at the end. Okay. Well, so I'm going, the, I'm going through the little bits and bobs first. Okay. Um, I didn't know about this, but Sony have a Gran Turismo film that's currently uh, started filming. <laughs> right. Uh, the reason I mention this is because it's directed by Neil Blomkamp. Neil Blomkamp? Who uh, you might know from, people might know from District something, I can't remember the number. I think it's nine. <laughs> um, the one where that South African actor turns into an alien. Yeah. Um, and then Elysium with Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Um, but perhaps famously uh, for his alien film that didn't happen. Yeah, he's, he's, it's weird because like, he's made some... He's made some great films or some underrated films or whatever, but yeah. his most famous project is the one that didn't happen. <laughs> was there another one? Wasn't he involved in a different one? Mm, yeah, I think was, so. There was Alien and there was another one he tried to reboot. Yeah, Was it Robocop? Yes, it was. It was Robocop. Oh, okay. Right. Yes, yes. Poor guy. Yeah, poor guy. He's, he you tried. Know, I think, He's had yeah. some good ideas as well. <laughs> he has, and apparently um, he likes Gran Turismo, so... <laughs> So yeah, uh, strange. It's not quite the big sci-fi epic, or maybe he'll turn it into that. Who knows? Maybe he will. Yeah. But it's good that he's got a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, need, I like the idea that he has work to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on from that, worth mentioning, the Walking Dead will conclude on Sunday with a ninety-minute special finale after twelve years and eleven seasons. Right. Uh, two spin-offs have begun film- filming already. The Isle of the Dead, which is set in New York, and another is filming in Paris that I can't say the name of because it's kind of a spoiler. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Um, and then there's also another spin-off which is centred on Rick and Michonne, which we found out recently will be co-written by Danny Gurira. Uh-huh. Um, it's set to begin filming next year. Um, interesting what's going on there. Um, the finale on Sunday, I think it's Monday for people... Mere mortals in the UK on watching it on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's kind of weird. This 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 TV series is finally coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Some might say it's too soon. Some might say it's too late. <laughs> right. um, I'll make no comment. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I will say that it doesn't really feel like it's ending. Yeah, I was going to ask what's because I remember the last time you were talking about it, you were a bit. It didn't feel like an ending, and it kind of was doing the. The padding out, I guess. I think you mentioned. Um, yeah, it's it's strange in the the last sort of few episodes. It's gotten quite good. Yeah. And sort of this because I watched the penultimate episode this morning, and mm. it's looking good, <laughs> and it set up a good episode for the finale. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how how well how good of a finale it's going to be. Yeah. Right. Um, because there are obviously big questions. I think it's something of, um, I don't want to say a mistake, but it feels strange that up to this point there hasn't been a major death. <laughs> right. Um, for a TV series that's famed itself on anybody dying at any time, it's mm-hmm. been strange how, so the last few episodes, I think one semi-major character's died, mm-hmm. um, and that wasn't even really a surprise. Yeah. Um but it, it's strange. I think I think it'll be a good episode. 
Uh-huh. These kind of big events, these big sort of explosive events, are things that The Walking Dead has done well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just whether it will wrap everything up or whether it'll just be more questions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with all these spin, I don't really know much about it, but with, with all these spin-offs, I do kind of. I think, from my perspective, I would, I kind of worry that the show's not really ending. It's more it's not. half end. Yeah, like it's more half ending and then setting up plot threads for the spin-off things um yeah i i hope that's not the case because obviously people i think you included like want an actual <laughs> like this is the ending of the show and not just a minor uh uh full stop for a bit <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah not not a comma yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah it's interesting well i guess we'll find out this time next week we'll know exactly how well they've done at ending it mm-hmm. um let me have a look. What else do we have? One last piece. Wait, is there? Yes. One last piece of non, uh, non-Marvel non or Star Wars news. <laughs> and that has... Margot Robbie has said her Pirates of the Caribbean film is no longer happening. Right. In an interview with Vanity Fair discussing Babylon, um, the Damien Chazelle film, and Greta Gerwig's Barbie, she said, and I quote... We had an idea and we were developing it for a while, ages ago, to have more of a female-led, not totally female-led, but just a different kind of story, which we thought would have been really cool, but I guess they didn't want to do it. By they, she seems to mean Disney. Right, okay. (laughs) Um, So that's kind of... The Pirates Caribbean has been in a strange sort of stasis for a while. This was one of the biggest things we knew about. There was something mm-hmm. else with Karen Gillan, I believe. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Um, and there is obviously um, the big question mark over what will happen with Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm, yeah. Obviously a lot has happened in regards to that, which isn't necessarily <laughs> the domain of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting to see how they don't really have a clear path for the future, despite mm-hmm. seeming to want to have a path for the future. Yeah, yeah. Paris Caribbean has always been such a weird franchise. Um, mm-hmm. I think even, even like ten years ago when it was getting a fourth film, or whatever, it was still a bit like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> like it was yeah. like, I mean, the trilogy ended, and I feel like that trilogy was very much intended to be a trilogy and the ending, um, and then to keep on going with like this this kind of idea where it's going to be sort of spin-offs but with Jack Sparrow still at the center um mm-hmm. didn't really work out and then you have yeah I think it's it's always being a since 2000 since the last film 2006 2007 it's always been a bit like a like a weird sort of middle ground franchise where it might come back but it might not come back the way you think or it might come <laughs> back the way you exactly think you never know <laughs> um yeah yeah, so I, yeah, I don't really know what to think about Pirates of the Caribbean going forward. I just kind of look back on it now. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I don't it's... really. I don't, yeah, I just don't really see it as a franchise that needs new entries. I think I think it just it has just a good first three films, and I just don't feel like the fourth or fifth films uh, justify the idea that there needs to be more. <laughs> um, mm, anyway. I understand what you mean. Yeah. Elsewhere, we're on to the big two now, Star Wars and Marvel. So, we'll start with we'll start with Star Wars because Marvel kind of feeds into our big topic. Um, two pieces of news in relation to Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. 
Um, firstly, there is reportedly a series in early development for Disney+. Plus. Um, nobody knows if it's set before, during or after the new film. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently they don't even have a team of writers yet. Right. It's just there. <laughs> and speaking of the film, we can reportedly expect a trailer for Indiana Jones 5 before the end of the month. Oh, okay. So it's it's upon us. That's good. Is it? Is the I know I just out? said this is Star Wars, but I'm classing kind of Lucasfilm. Yeah, yeah. Under the same banner. Is Indiana Jones five like next year or is it? I don't know. Like coming like soon, year. as in like we never know. <laughs> right. Okay. Shall I have a little look? It's yeah. It's one of those films where I'm just like it just seems like it's always in production. Well, uh, the production was delayed because he injured himself again, didn't it? <laughs> didn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, release date, 30th of June, 2023. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's what we've got. That's okay. I, I am quite excited for this one. I feel like... I don't know, I feel... I feel like it needed a new voice behind the camera. Which mm-hmm. is weird to say, yeah. because... Why would you ever want to replace Steven Spielberg? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's just something about... I feel like this one will kind of change the formula a bit in a good way. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. really sure. I feel like it will obviously still be like a, an adventure. It will still be a very much an Indiana Jones movie with an artifact that they're chasing after. But I just have a feeling mm-hmm. that this one will try something different because I think it. I think from the last one, it realized I can't just quite do the same thing again. I think the last one kind of proved that just doing the this franchise again, but now, yeah, it doesn't kind of work. I mean. Whether it's the age of Harrison Ford or whatever, it just didn't gel quite well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just get the sense that this one's going to do something a bit different. Um, I don't really know what, but yeah, I'm hoping for something a bit of a, like a bit more of like a Last Jedi than a Force Awakens, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, James Mangold's a good director, he's done some good stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think they've got the right man for that. So actually on to Star Wars now. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Another another Star Wars film to add to the pile of is no longer happenings. Oh. Um, J.D. Dillard's film is no longer happening, and apparently he says it wasn't for the lack of trying. Right. Um, I think this is one of the projects that was more under the radar. Uh-huh. I think this was the one that was supposed to be on Exegol. Oh, the I think, yeah. The introduced in episode nine. Yeah, yeah. The Sith Homeworld. Mm-hmm. Um, not entirely sure on that. I'm completely speculating. <laughs> it's been a long time since this project's been mentioned. Yeah. Um, but it's now no longer happening. So add it to the pile. Yep. Uh, alternatively, as one goes out the door, another person's going in. <laughs> Sean Levy is apparently in talk to direct a Star Wars film. <laughs> I feel like it is literally a revolving door of yeah. this might happen. <laughs> And it's, it's just luck if they ever actually make it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, in some ways, I'm quite enjoying this a little break from Star Wars films. Um, yeah. Because I feel like when it comes back in whatever form it does, it'll be quite exciting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just... Yeah, just pick something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, one Star Wars project that has happened, a bit of, bit of, a bit of humour for the news now. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Gilroy has said he didn't know about the many Easter eggs in Luthen's shop in the Andor series. 
until oh. fans kind of went crazy about them. One of them included um, Star Killer, there's Sith Stalker armor from the yeah. video game Force Unleashed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, Terry Gilroy said, and I quote, every now and then the art department sneaks shit in there. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> what's weird about that is um, I quite, because I don't know, I'm, I'm watching Andor now, I think I'm up to the latest episode where they, well, I'm not going to say because spoilers, uh, but. I think I'm up to the latest one, episode ten. I think it is, um, mm-hmm. and I'm loving it. I think. Yeah. I think for me, this might be my favorite uh, Star Wars TV show, really. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I think what's really helping it out is that it feels, it does kind of feel like a person making a Star Wars show who likes Star Wars enough, but like doesn't have that much of a an attachment to it. Yeah. Um, it kind of feels like he's just making a TV show that he wants to make. Yeah. Um, that happens to be set inside of stormtroopers and Death Stars and whatever, um, and it, it's for me it's just really working like quite well, um, mm-hmm. and it is fulfilling that promise of a TV show that's about like political espionage and you know secrets of the trade and all that sort yeah. of thing. Um, so yeah, I'm just really enjoying it. Um, are you are you up to date with that one or? Yeah, I am. I'm also really enjoying it. I'm mm-hmm. finding it quite refreshing. Uh, and I agree in that it feels like it's a crime writer. Yeah. And I think it's really refreshing to see that brought to the universe and just have something a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the, um, the structure of it's really working for me. Yeah, I'm enjoying, like, from from like, what I can gather, it's, like, it's kind of doing a Clone Wars-esque sort of thing, where it's, yeah. it's a three-episode arc, and then a little break, and then a three-episode arc. Um I think yeah, it's quite it's working well for me. I think it's it's more engaging and it's allowing the show to develop different ideas without just doing. Because I have mixed feelings now about the whole idea that a TV show is essentially an extended movie. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed Obi Wan quite a bit, but I think having this almost like direct comparison between a TV show that is definitely the structure of a TV show compared to. I think it was six like one hour episodes that are essentially like different accent in a movie. <laughs> um, yeah. I think having that comparison there, I, I do think this approach works better overall. Um, I'm just finding it more engaging. And I think there, there are literal moments in this uh, series where I think for me, I, I can't really spoil it, but I think the, the ending of, uh, I think the episode, episode four, I think it might've been. Um, and I think, the last two episodes in general, like the endings of the episodes, have me genuinely like, genuinely like, really excited and really like, oh my god, this is happening! Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's got nothing to do with like a lightsaber or a character from a previous thing showing up. It's just like how good the show is. Um, yeah, how sort of just exceptionally well written it is. Yeah, I think um, Andy Circus as well is just so good in the role he gets in this. Um, so yeah, good. he is. He's incredible. Yeah, um, he kills it. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. I think I think it's times like these where you see that obviously he's an exceptionally talented person when it comes to motion capture, mm-hmm. but he actually can act. Yeah, yeah, he can, like, yeah. He's I don't got mean a lot that in the derogatory it. way that obviously the motion capture is not acting. I mean, it is acting. But you know mm-hmm. what I mean in the, yeah. the traditional Shakespearean sense. Yeah. <laughs> the guy I mean, can act. He has, unfortunately, despite, you know, it's kind of been tied to what, like, tied... Uh, do that motion capture sort of technology a bit too much sometimes I think. Yeah. Um, knowing like his like career choices, I just mean like, like 
I guess our perception of him generally. Um, yeah. And he's you know he's got he's got a lot of range. He can do quite a lot of things. Um, mm. He's great. He's great as Alfred, for example. Um, and whenever yeah, and this <laughs> this he's, yeah he just killed it. And I think he has one of like the strongest arcs in that entire show of strong yeah. arcs. <laughs> um, so yeah, and also just I just love the idea that we're just seeing this from what you know from Rogue One, a film that I, I like enough. Um, I think it's more kind of visually spectacular than it is like engaging story-wise. I think um, yeah. with Andor as a character being such like a small piece of that film, a main piece, but it's quite a small piece compared to like Luke Skywalker, for example. Yeah. To see to have him get this his whole show, and for for him to be kind of this conduit to explore all these ideas, is yeah. I think it's just great a great use of that character. I think. Um, mm. yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Just yeah, it's really surprising as well because I just it, I was aware of the show, but it wasn't really on my radar. I was like looking forward to that one. This yeah. kind of oh yeah, they're making the Andor show, and it ended up being my favorite one I think so far. <clears throat> yeah, I'm the same. It's definitely it's come from nowhere, especially when you sort of first heard it being announced in that they're making a spin-off of that guy from Rogue One. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's turned out to be. And strangely, this is a really odd thing to, to sort of aspect to to the show, is mm-hmm. that for a writer that kind of has come to it not as an ultimate Star Wars nerd, like you say, mm-hmm. he's just a, a good writer who's got this story that happens to fit in the Star Wars universe. It is proving exceptionally good for kind of lore. Yeah, I was thinking that, Because it feels yeah. just so rich. It's, a, it, yeah. it's, I think, one of the greatest achievements of Star Wars is kind of making the world feel so lived in. Yeah, yeah. And so well populated. I think this is probably one of the best examples of it. Mm-hmm. It just feels like such a rich world. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially with them kind of folding in the ISB. Mm-hmm. Um, which is stuff I'm loving, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's, I, such I, a, it's such a welcome addition. It's something fresh and it's just so it's so well done. Yeah, and I think the fact that... I think for me what really made me go... Like, yeah, this is pushing stars in a good direction is when... We visit Coruscant, and it's like mm. for the first time I think seeing that planet, I could believe that people lived there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because Coruscant, for being usually quite a attractive kind of buzzing like city, I just didn't quite get the sense that it was real <laughs> um, compared to like Tatooine, for example. Um, yeah, and I think, but this show just it makes me go, oh yeah, people, you know, live here and they. They drive from this quadrant to this quadrant, and there's mm-hmm. an underbelly in this like this skyscrapers, and like there's so many levels of like these little details that make it feel actually real. Um, yeah, and even like I love that we're getting characters who don't just serve their purpose and then leave because people are you go to a certain arc, for example, and that whole plot arc like wraps up, for example, and then a certain character or two sticks around, and we delve way deeper into them than we ever thought we would. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm, yeah, I'm just, yeah, it's really surprising. Yeah, I think it's cause like you said. I think in my mind, I like literally said what you said when I heard the news that they're making the show, which was, oh, they're making a show about that guy from Rogue yeah. One. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, and it just came out of nowhere as being like, generally like this great TV. I think um, mm-hmm. Star Wars or not, it's just great. Um, so yeah, very exciting. Yeah, good stuff. Um, Moving us so away from Star Wars now onto Marvel. Mm-hmm. This is the last section of the news, I promise you. <laughs> um, Thunderbolts will begin production in June 2023. 
Ooh, okay. That's kind of the first thing to, to pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the uh, so they, these kind of next few are kind of can be can be banded together. Mm-hmm. But if you remember last week, we introduced <laughs> right. a segment, and I know you've all been waiting for this. <laughs> yeah, guess what? It's back. Read of the week. Read Here the we week. go. Read of the week this week. Right. Is Owen Grufford. Is that the guy from Mindhunter? No, it's Mr. Fantastic from 2005. Oh, oh, him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right, right. Um, first of all, you may ask, mm-hmm. did I just accept any old nonsense on the internet to keep this segment alive? That is a question I have. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it's not entirely um, in... Uh, Without sort of, without any kind of substance, mm-hmm. uh, because one of the kind of big things that's come out of this last week from um, a sort of renowned industry insider Daniel RPK, which is that Owen Wilson will reprise his role in Deadpool three as Agent Mobius and will uh, have a major role. A major role. Yes. That's an interesting choice. Um, yeah. Um, huh. So this has kind of led to a lot of speculation, a lot of people saying that Deadpool 3 will kind of revisit a lot of the older Fox films. Ah, right, okay. And the reason that Owen Griffith is our read of the week is because it is rumoured that his sort of, his version of Reed, as well as that version of the Fantastic Four, could appear in Daredevil, uh, not Daredevil, <laughs> Deadpool 3. I'm pretty right. sure I called it Dead, Daredevil last week as well. <laughs> uh, but Deadpool three, mm-hmm. right? Well, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate that just because I feel like of the two main casts we've had in live action so far, I do prefer that cast. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Which again, obviously, it makes you think: Will they have Chris Evans come back as the Human Torch? Very strange, um, yes. Which would be very, very weird. Um, yeah, I mean. It is quite interesting that we're getting to the point now with bringing things back or multiverse like shenanigans that we're going to the films that we we don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're doing that now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like well, yeah, it's, I, it's funny you should mention this because another piece of news that is also floating around. <laughs> this comes from the direct, the website, the direct, which can be hit and miss from what I know. Mm-hmm. Um. Apparently, the rumour doing the rounds is that Big Kev <laughs> is apparently trying, is aiming to include every major character who has ever been in a major Marvel film and get them back for Secret Wars. Oh. Bring them okay. all back. <laughs> Bringing everyone back. Pretty um, much everybody. When you say Marvel, do you mean MCE or do you mean Marvel? <laughs> Marvel. Wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they went that far already with No Way Home, as in, like, they went beyond the MCU, I guess, now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that door is, like, officially opened. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel, I don't know, is it too much, <laughs> Kevin? I don't know. Much? I mean, I'm a big fan of multiverses. I, I can't deny, right? Mm. I am a huge fan of them. Parallel universes, I eat it up for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Give me more. Yeah. So to me, this is kind of a little bit exciting. 
But yeah. I get that people might not be 100% keen on this because that's a hell of a lot of characters for one film. It is. And um, when it gets to that point of, like, it's that many characters, you just kind of yeah. wonder, like, who's going to get an arc? Because yeah, yeah, if you have true. so many scenes dedicated to this is that Fantastic Four and this is that Spider-Man and this is that Hulk or whatever, um, just so many ideas of, like, but at what point do we have a scene where the characters sit down and be like, I'm going to talk for a bit, and we're not yeah. going to cut away to someone new. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The film can end up being about four hours long. It could be, yeah. And, you know, at least an hour and a half or two hours could, could just be cameos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of... If this news is true, hmm. and if they do pull it off, I wouldn't be at all surprised if... Secret Wars became two films. Yeah, that could be true, yeah. Because I think Kang Dynasty is meant to be like, not, it's connected, but it's not just a part two, I think. Yeah, it's um, kind of, I, I, it's weird because obviously the way they've named them, it implies they are two different things. Mm-hmm. But with them being so close together, mm. it kind of makes it feel like they are going to be connected in some way. Yeah. Because it's literally the first, the Secret Wars and then Kang Dynasty, isn't it? Or the other way around. Yeah, because it's kind of... Kang Dynasty seems to be sort of the initial culmination of what they're kind of doing with the multiverse. Mm -hmm. Um, So it kind of... One of the impressions it kind of gives me is that they could do something similar to sort of what Infinity War is through Endgame. Yeah. In that they could battle Kang in Kang Dynasty. That could absolutely fuck the universe. <laughs> and then Secret Wars has to happen in order for the everything to be put back together. Yeah, yeah. I think... Yeah, because I think when you compare... Even though it's a different level of like characters, I guess, because yeah. on Infinity War you're talking about the MCU characters who are, you know, they already fit in. There's no need to explain why they're here, uh, really. Um uh, yeah, because Infinity War is very much a, a character-heavy, plot-heavy kind of big film, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and Endgame is sort of like, I don't know, like the story that comes from that big event, I guess. Uh, yeah. So it could take on a, a very similar form of it starts out with this big, you know, cameo, you know, every character in the same room talking about whatever, and a big battle that goes wrong, and then whoever's left from that or whatever it might be uh, is where the actual story kind of, I don't know, starts maybe, or yeah. at least uh, gets time to actually explore itself. Um, yeah, I don't... Yeah, it's just... I, I, It is exciting. Like, I know that on opening night, for example, if I see even, like, a character who I don't particularly have anything for, like, as in, like, the past... Like, do you say, like, the Fantastic Four, um, those iterations, yeah. I, I will be excited. I will be like, whoa, this is crazy and cool and whatever. Um, I probably that probably will get like a little jolt out of me, and it probably will sustain that first viewing. But mm-hmm. I, I do wonder because as the years go by, I do kind of with Infinity War have that sort of thing where I'm like, I still like it, but I do prefer Endgame for being a much not slow but slower uh, sort of yeah. journey that allows the characters to have like full on arcs, for example. Um, and yeah, I just I don't know. I just don't know if. <laughs> It's just a weird idea to me. Just 
going backwards. It, it kind of feels, but yeah, we'll see. Because I I do trust Kev, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have my him. faith in Big Kev. Yeah, I don't. I mean, we all you know, we all worried less than a, well, actually maybe more than a year ago now uh, about Norway Home and how that whole thing works and might, will it be yeah. too much and will it distract from Tal Holland's whole journey. Um, and we were just totally wrong about that. No Way Home is pretty great. Um, mm-hmm. And most of our issues didn't really come to fruition because the people behind it cared and did some really good work. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you hope for the same here, I think. <clears throat> that brings kind of nicely to a bit of news that ties in with our our topic for today, our big topic. Mm-hmm. And that is that some box office records have been broken. Oh, yeah, I think I heard this, yeah. So, Wakanda Forever has earned $330 million in its opening weekend, mm. which makes it, that's worldwide, by the way, yeah. that makes it the highest grossing November opener in the history of cinema. Whoa. <laughs> yes. I... Um, I think it's fairly safe to assume this film is going to break a billion. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. I'd be surprised um, if it didn't, yeah, because uh, that cinema was full. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um, mine was weirdly empty. Was it? Oh. Mm, very strange. But yes, um, so that does bring us on to our big topic. And normally it's you that introduces the main topic, but I've stolen your thunder. <laughs> I, have, I have deliberately engineered the news to place Marvel at the end so that I can shrill straight in. It's okay. You can take the reins. <laughs> <laughs> so our topic is, of course, um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which premiered on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to discuss things, discuss all the things. All the things. All our thoughts and stuff. And so... <laughs> It is my great honour to be the one to ask you, what did you think? (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, so, yeah, I think in a sentence I would say that I I really quite like this film. Um, I think it it, it has its issues. I don't think it's perfect. Uh, But I think, considering uh, everything going behind the scenes with this film, I think the fact that it's, it's a film that's came out and it's not only like cohesive and coherent, um, like the fact that it's not just that, but also generally quite good and sometimes like actually amazing, is I think a testament to Ryan Coogler and Marvel mm-hmm. um, that this film tells its own story but doesn't ignore the the unfortunate events around this film, um, yeah. and kind of finds a way to blend it in quite well. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's weird because it is coherent and it, it does fit together quite surprisingly well. Considering anything, so I was quite worried about this film before the trailers came out and stuff like that. When I was just like, I don't know what this film's going to be anymore because mm-hmm. there was so much like back and forth between what could happen and script rewrites up to like a month before filming. I imagine. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a bit worrying, and then for it to be as a uh, Quite good as it is, it is surprising, and I'm very thankful that it is this good. And it doesn't. I think the big thing is it doesn't let down the first film, Um, Mm. because the first film is it's it's. I rewatched it quite recently actually because of this film coming out, and it is still quite great. Again, I don't think it's perfect, but it is still great, and I think it has such a a a mature sort of lens. I think, Um, and a very 
a very obvious heart to it and a very like passionate director behind the camera. Yeah. Um, and there's some great performances across the board. Um, and I think it's kind of weird because I think like I think this film it has all the strengths of this first film, and so in some ways is actually better. But I also think it shares the same uh, uh, negatives that the first film does, um, which is also a bit maybe worse, but also I don't know. It doesn't isn't ruin a film, but it's certainly like. I wish this wasn't this way because I think it deserves a bit better. And I think it's it's a film that is it it's a big film. It's almost three hours, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and I, I personally I think plot wise at least it doesn't need to be that long. Um, I do think there's a way of cutting at least like fifteen minutes out of this film. Yeah, um, I think yeah I think it's strange because I get why it's all in there. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's something that I, you know, that's a part of it, and think I think that doesn't fit all, and it completely stands out. Mm-hmm. I think it's just that there's just so many of the subplots. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I get why the whole. I think probably the biggest one that kind of stands out more is everything to do with the CIA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so Everett Ross and Val, who's revealed to be um, his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I get why that's there because it's kind of showing the animosity towards Wakanda and their resources. Yeah. Which is a big part of the, th- the film's theme. Yeah. But that combined with all the other little things going on, mm-hmm. especially at that kind of two thirds mark, mm. it I can understand understand that it does slow the film down. And yeah. It kind of detracts a little bit from. Um, well, it kind of cuts the draws your attention away from kind of the big sort of central arcs, which are, in my opinion, they are pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I agree, yeah, totally. Um, also, as, as I kind of said to you in the messages, <laughs> it's kind of weird how, for the last few appearances, this Val character has kind of been this mysterious, secretive, behind-the-curtain spy master. Yeah. And it comes to this film, and all of a sudden, actually, no, she's... She's straight up the director of the CIA. Yeah, this this confused me quite a bit because she rocks up in the film. Well, we're not spoiling it yet, but yeah. so we're not going to get into details. But uh, yeah, it's just it's a, a different vibe than both what I expected and, and I think actually do know about where they want to take this character. So it is yeah, I think the the vibe is of the character is different and. Mm. I don't. I don't even know if I want to say it's it's wrong or a, a, a miss like treatment of the character. It just mm-hmm. it threw me off, and I don't know if that was intentional or not, or just I don't know. Maybe a bit of one out of all the things that Kevin is managing, he kind of just lost track of that character for a bit. <laughs> I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I think yeah. There's quite uh, there's a few subplots or certain scenes that we cut to in this film. Where I, I genuinely feel like the wind come out of the sails, like sort of thing, where mm-hmm. the film was barreling forward, not like not too fast, but like it's going, it's, there's momentum to it. We're going somewhere. The characters are having this really engaging uh, journey, and then sometimes we cut to like you know a, a, a midday, <laughs> a midday scene in the office with these <laughs> these uh, political people discussing things, and it's it's kind of weird because. On the one hand, I, I want that because I think one of the most fascinating aspects of the first film is um, 
is that the geo like the, the political the geopolitical sort of position of Wakanda in the world now, mm-hmm. um, and I think to not include that would be a mistake. So, it's, I, but I just I don't love how it's in, ingrained into the plot. I guess into this one, um, mm-hmm. it, it's not tacked on, but it it, it feels separate in a way. Um, so yeah, and I think I think this generally. I think it's yeah, it's I think generally as well with this film the the issues with Marvel's kind of uh over abundance I guess at the moment of just different projects going on and the strain that's putting on uh, uh visual effects arts, for example. I think yeah, it's unfortunate that this film I think what I was saying before was it had the same flaws as the first film. I think this film, similar to the first film, does suffer from a big action third act sort of thing that doesn't mm-hmm. look great <laughs> uh, it's kind of distractingly not good to look at sometimes um, mm-hmm. so yeah I feel like it's yeah it's a weird thing because I like the film quite a lot for the 80 or like 70 to 80% of this film I was totally on board and loving it uh, but that you know that last couple of 10% are just quite distracting <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and I wish they weren't there but you know, I'm glad it's as good as as it is. Um, yeah, but yeah, I guess I hand the baton over to you now. Of just your general thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I, I, I share a lot of sort of the concerns you raised about it. Um, I think generally, I thought a lot of the action was an improvement from the first film, especially sort of the, the one that people are talking a lot about is a Koye's fight on the bridge. Yeah, which I think is is excellently handled. Um, but I do, I do kind of agree in the, it, the sort of the final battle, or at least, I'd say at least kind of half the final battle. Um, it's difficult to explain. Again, I won't go into spoilers. But I guess you only really have to have seen the film to understand what I'm saying when I say half the final battle. <laughs> yeah. Because it's kind of it's in two places. Um, one of the kind of the bigger scale things does feel a bit oddly staged. It, it yeah um, yeah. Whereas I think the other, the other half has done quite well, mm. um, but sort of aside from that, for me they are kind of tinier little bits mm. to to pick up on um, where it could have maybe been pushed a little bit further. Mm-hmm. But I think generally, I think it's a film that was put in a very, or a film that found itself in a position that was quite difficult. Not just at the traditional sense of knowing how to release a film in mm. its context but knowing that sort of the crew and the cast had lost one of their close friends yeah and there's a lot of sort of emotion invested in it and i think the film that has been produced as as a result is first and foremost it's the perfect tribute to chadwick boseman mm-hmm. i think it handles Sort of the grief and the loss in a very mature way, with the characters, and it handles sort of the passing of, of a real human being with a lot of respect. Yeah, definitely. And quite a bit of dignity, and the themes and the emotion that are present in this film are, they are some of the best that uh, we're just kind of seeing in this, in this genre. The focus that is retained on the idea of loss and grief, and how it runs so thoroughly through so many of the characters who behave differently and that is probably best represented by some really really excellent performances mm. I think so. The, the written review of the two that I mainly focused on were uh, the Tisha Wright who I think 
have a lot asked of her in this film. Considering in previous films she's had like a smaller role, she's had important roles for the story, yeah. but they haven't been major focuses of the story. Um, and there's a lot put on her shoulders with this film, and I think she proved more than up to it. Yeah, I think she delivers a quite of excellent in how she maintains sort of her character's charm and, and sort of playfulness from the first few times we've seen her, and she's added that added that really completely with some really more nuanced and quite deep sort of emotional range. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know there is, I think she's probably the best written character in the film in a film where a lot of the characters are tremendously well written. Yeah. Um, and her, her arc, I've seen a lot of people say this, but I think it's one of the stronger arcs of this phase, and it could even be one of the strongest sort of single film arcs that this this franchise has seen. Yeah. Um, um, and then because this, sorry, just the yeah, the other performance being um, Angela Bassett, who yeah. absolute powerhouse of this film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we've seen all of like with the character of Shuri and mm. Lisita Wright. Um, yeah, it's kind of a it's been kind of a, a daunting and very strange thing because her character in previous films is almost like a comedic release sort of character. Yeah, um, it's kind of this like this light-hearted, hearted, sort of forward-thinking uh, part of Wakanda um, that is in- included very well. And you know, I could, I didn't have an issue. I think when we first, you know, were thinking about who who's going to take on the mantle, I think. Almost everyone, I would say, kind of thought, well, Shiri does make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But do you think it must be, as an actress and as a writing challenge, almost, it must be quite uh, weird and uh, mm-hmm. daunting to be like, let's make this character, this very comedic, light-hearted character the main focus. And let's, you know, obviously because of both real-life events and therefore in the, the film, kind of have the character go through, like, a lot. Um because the character goes through like a lot, um, like, yeah. More than, more than I even thought the film would put any character through during this film. <laughs> um, mm. So yeah, it's kind of, it's remarkable how much uh, that character really comes to the forefront and it works completely. I think. Um, I do think this film has a bit of a, not I don't I wouldn't say an issue, but I would say, um, uh, an inter- interesting sort of. A choice, I guess. Where for the first, I would say, like act maybe, or maybe the first like half of the film, it's kind of a bit difficult to tell who the main character is. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, it, I do agree. Yeah, it because I think it's between it's between the mother and uh, Shuri, and I think it goes between those two. But then obviously there's obviously all the subplot, subplots we keep on mentioning, and mm-hmm. yeah, so it's you're emotionally tied to both of those kind of main characters, I guess. Um, so that's, I guess, what pulls it through, I think. But it's not until a certain point in this film where you're like, oh, this is definitely the main character. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, it, But it doesn't feel messy, I will say that. It doesn't feel like a, a mistake or like a, a flaw in the film. It's just like an interesting sort of observation, I guess, because I think the first film kind of has that too a bit because mm-hmm. um, the scope is so wide and the, the film is about Wakanda before anything else. Um, that whilst obviously you know who the main character is in that film, it has a sort of similar sort of wide scope, and I think this film yeah it does that's true yeah and I think this film without that 
obvious kind of main character going into it, it has that wide scope, and it's I wouldn't say it's lost, but it's it's an interesting sort of observation I guess that I had like in the hour in I guess where I was like I'm not quite sure like who is the protagonist here, but mm-hmm. not in a bad way. Um, cause I think every character had something going for them. Um, where compared to you know I think one of the most famous examples of this is um, the Phantom Menace where it's, <laughs> you, you, so, you don't know who the main character is, but not the characters have anything going for them really. <laughs> um, so like it's it's weird, but I think this film has that same sort of thing, but has good character writing. So you don't really mind it, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Which makes you know when it comes to the point where the main character is made very obvious, it's kind of oddly satisfying as a reveal almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So mm. yeah, I don't know. Do you want to go into spoilers now, or do you think you want to? I guess so. I think we can put the spoiler warning. Up there. Yeah. Spoilers now, from now on. Yeah, spoilers <laughs> now. Um, and I suppose kind of the moment you're talking about is probably the best place to start. Yeah, the the uh, the death. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What was, what was your, your initial reaction to this? Um, I was I was surprised, I think. I think I was... Mm. I think in the build-up to that sequence, well, to that moment, I think, mm-hmm. I... I I could I got the sense that they might do it, but I didn't think that I just felt that this film, in you know in both a fictional sense and a, a real life sense, had like there's a lot of grief and a lot of loss in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I remember thinking like, it's too much to take away this character too, and mm-hmm. then they did it, <laughs> um, and then like I was like I was just very surprised. I think I was shocked, and then I thought. But it does make sense. It as a story, it does make narrative sense for this the main character as we can now kind of fully invest in as the main character. For her story, it does make sense quite a bit. Um and I think it was for me it was most heart wrenching when it settled down a bit and we cut to what was then like the second funeral of that movie. Mm, yeah. Um I think that hit me the most, I think, where I was just like, Wow, like we're back here. Like <laughs> the film started this way. And we're near the third act now, and we're back here again. Um, and yeah, I think I think you mentioned as well a very powerful line from um, Umbaku yeah. uh, towards Shiri about you, you've lost like too much to be considered a child anymore. Yeah, and I think that kind of sums up her coming into the the forefront protagonist role, where like there's so much grief and so much uh, pathos, I guess, put into this film. That mm-hmm. by the end, you can't not take Shuri as a very serious character, which yeah. um, isn't necessarily as comedic or lighthearted um, at times. But yeah, I mean, I think it, it it's a choice that shocked me, but it, I think it makes sense. Um, I think it was handled well as well. I feel like mm-hmm. the way the death was done was it felt it felt right the way it was handled. Um, if they were have to do, if they had to do that for the character, yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. Do you think it was... Well, for you, did it shock you, I think? It did. I Similar to you, I didn't think it was the kind of move that I genuinely didn't expect them to make. Mm. Yeah. It was kind of a level of, I dare say, sort of seriousness, mm-hmm. a level of, level of darkness that I didn't think they'd go for mm-hmm. um, in this kind of film, like this, this, in this way. Yeah. But they did, and I think it's... It's one of them occasions where they do kind of make a big swing. Yeah. And it really does pay off. 
I think it's essential for that for that sort of sensational arc that Sherry ends up taking. It's essential for that to be completed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, while it's definitely a surprise to see a, a character that, like, like we said, is one of the strongest performances in the film, mm-hmm. and to kind of, kind of take her take her out like that, but also to do it with like a her final sort of gesture was to save someone. It's kind of brushed over almost actually in the film. <laughs> but yeah. she did like she she saves Riri Williams. And it's kind of this, despite all that she's lost herself, she still saves the girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I was sort of kind of saying from Shuri's point of view, she's kind of I think people make this comparison, but she's kind of like uh, Peter in No Way Home. In that it comes to the end of the film, and she's lost pretty much everybody. Yeah, she's got kind of no one. <laughs> um, yeah. At least in that family, she has it in Baku, and she has obviously the yeah. entire nation is obviously in support of her. But it, yeah, mm. I mean, it's, yeah, she has that line I think as well, and that's the, the funeral scene where it gets asked by in Baku, "Where's your heart leading?" And she's like, "Well, the last person who actually knew me is 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 buried, so I'm, my heart's kind of buried with them now." Um, I think that as well, like back to back in that and scene was like just really hit quite hard, um, and I realized mm. as well when it, yeah. when it came to the third act that this film. Shares near the end, at least, like quite a resemblance to Norway Home. Um, mm-hmm. It has kind of like before the third act is kind of this big uh, death of a mental figure sort of thing. Um, yeah, which leads into this third act where will the main character kind of inhumanely kill the bad person? Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, I thought it was quite interesting. That that's kind of a thing that Marvel's been doing <laughs> twice in a row now, almost. Um, and it, it's a thing that works because it's quite engaging to watch. Um, but yeah, I think. I think well, on also that... it's it's a kind of a worthy comparison of making how Phase Four has kind of all, all been about grief. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Because it, it it started kind of it kind of started with Black Widow, mm-hmm. where there's obviously so the post credit scene in that is um, Yelena. Over the grave of uh, Natasha, yeah. Hawkeye kind of continues that with both her and Clint. Yeah. Wonder Vision is obviously massively about loss and guilt. The whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have No Way Home. He loses a lot in No Way Home. Loki yeah. has aspects of loss in it. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think of more examples. And I mean, I know you can obviously, as <laughs> as kind of She-Hulk made reference to in her show, a lot of uh, superheroes do have dead parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's not it's kind of a comparison you can make to a lot of things, mm-hmm. to a lot of other sort of comic book versions. But I do think that sense of that sense of loss and uh, and grief mm. has been quite prominent in Phase Four, and yeah. as such, it feels it feels like it's best represented with this film being the sort of the final film in Phase Four. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of. Yeah, I think. Well, this is the. Oh, yes, yeah, like you said, this is the ending of Phase 4. Um, mm. Yeah, and I think it's. It, it's a good place to end it, I think. Because I think for me. Uh, with phase, I, think, I think I've been a bit muddled around the idea of Phase 4, I guess. Because I've just. A bit up and down with like, what I think about them. Um, the films, at least, I think. Mm. Um, so I think yeah. I have to kind of end on this note until like the next film. Um, 
I think that is probably the best place to end it. It might be my favorite in this phase, and at least with, alongside Mortal and Madness, I think. I think Black this film does sit quite comfortably, at least in the top ten or so of this uh, MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I'm quite happy that it ends on this note. And I think just thinking back to the sort of third act comparison with No Way Home, and obviously the idea that the villain is sympathetic to a degree and in in my opinion like quite close to Killmonger but not quite I'm just kind of wondering where do you think where do you lie with the the main, uh, the main villain in this film <clears throat> like as, as kind of we, we mentioned to each other over messaging is that coming off the back of Killmonger mm. it feels like the comparisons are inevitable yeah yeah um, especially including the fact that Killmonger is actually in this film Um, but the comparisons are kind of inevitable and those comparisons aren't quite you know they aren't kind to Namor I don't think Mm -hmm. but taking it sort of him as himself I think he is an interesting character I think he's an interesting antagonist he's definitely more of an anti-hero than an outright villain Yeah, yeah. I think they've they've clearly positioned him as such come the end of the film Mm mhm I was really engaged by um, Tenok Quarter's performance. Mm-hmm. I thought he was really quite charismatic when sort of the character needed him to be, and he, there, were, there were several moments where he came across to me as really quite sincere. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, and that, that kind of charming elements. And he definitely has more more kindness, more likability perhaps than Killmonger. So I feel like Killmonger was sympathetic in that regard. But he wasn't necessarily likable, if you know what I mean. Yeah, he was. He was charming more than likable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still. It's difficult. I think it's fairly tight, but I do think that it's kind of difficult to to place them up against each other, and it finds feels kind of unfair. Um, because they do share kind of the elements of vengeance and hating the world. Um, but, you know, Namor works really well for the grief sense side of things. Like, that sense, especially for, so from looking at, looking at it from Shuri's point of view, um, he is kind of the embittered and angry version that she could become if she let her grief take her there. And I think they, they do a good job of including him in a way that really pushes Shuri forward. Yeah. Um, the idea that she he is what she could become if she let her grief steer her towards anger. He works really well to push her towards sort of the character she becomes by the end of the film. With Namor, it's kind of a it's a, it's a weird situation because it's one of those things where they can't quite be a villain because of their their role in, in the future, I guess, with Marvel. Um, so yeah, it's quite a weird one because I think he's compelling, but I think, in fact, the scene where um, where uh, Killmonger returns in the ancestral plane uh, thing, um, yeah, he has so much charisma and so much like like ability and just presence, and I immediately kind of thought, can I see this villain returning in the next film and having that same level of like, oh my god, like he's back, um, and that yeah. sort of level of screen presence, and I, I kind of thought, no, I don't think like. I, I can see him coming back, and I see him coming back as a, a hero or a villain or whatever he may be, um, and him being certainly a good and strong, but 
as a character, but uh, mm-hmm. as, as a villain, I, yeah, it's hard to... It's one of those really annoying things where it's almost like the same thing as like, uh, Tom Hardy after Heath Ledger. Like, they're both good. It's just, it's just difficult <laughs> to kind of yeah. separate the two. Um, yeah. But I do think he's good, and I do like. I, I really enjoy actually how much they didn't make fun of him. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was positive almost when I saw the character with his uh, his winged feet and all that. That surely like someone was going to make some sort of joke and, and no one did and I was like oh cool that's, that's great like good job <laughs> um it's just nice I guess that that happened um and yeah I think yeah he's compelling but he's a he's a bit of a for me he's a bit of a retread on the same ideas of the first film but mm-hmm. just not quite as uh not quite as dramatic I guess um but yeah how did you, well I guess going from that how do you feel I guess I get about another character who's there for a sort of similar sort of thing, where they're here, they're in, they're, oh, they're in the story, uh, but they're mm-hmm. kind of here for a, a future endeavor, and of that I mean kind of uh, the Riri, the Riri Williams character. Um, yeah. How did you feel about her inclusion? I think she was. Um, it was. It's the kind of thing where, of all the kind of side plots, because I think you kind of class her as a side plot, um, mm-hmm. sort of her involvement in it. Of all the side plots, uh, she feels like she's the one that belongs the most. Yeah. Um, because of how she kind of fits in with, sort of with with Telecan and Namor. Um, mm-hmm. But I kind of feel like after they get rescued, she's kind of like a lot of the other kind of that. So the, the subplots take their turn to be kind of sidelined or benched for a little while. And after they get rescued, it seems like it's her turn to kind of maybe sit out a good portion of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, given the kind of role that she's in, I was, I was kind of thinking that there'd be more kind of heart to hearts in the second act of the film with her. I don't mm-hmm. think yeah. the film necessarily suffers from not including that, because I think she still works really well, especially when it comes to. As we said, like Queen Ramona saves her as her as last act. Yeah. And she sort of is developed into more of a hero, like more of an active hero. Mm-hmm. And I also, I also really enjoy her dynamic with Shuri. Yeah, yeah. I think those, those actors have a lot of chemistry between each other. And I'm very excited to see where that kind of that dynamic builds to. Mm. Um, that being said, I'm also... Kind of the idea of the the Ironheart series, which we've known about for quite a while, has been it's been there and thereabouts, and I've never really known what to think of it. But <laughs> yeah. um, after this, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing where they kind of take this character from here on out. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, think I think she has she has a really interesting part to potentially play. Yeah, in that she's kind of. She's the kind of connective tissue between two worlds of the MCU, mm-hmm. because during kind of while they were while they were both players in the universe, this this kind of this original world which centered around Tony Stark, mm-hmm. and then there was this kind of newer world that obviously involved T'Challa and Wakanda, which came in later. But those mm-hmm. characters and those worlds never really interacted. Yet you have this character in Riri Williams, which now has this kind of strong connection to Wakanda, and obviously has 
kind of the relationship to Tony Stark with the kind of physical powers and the armor. Yeah. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that going forward in the MCU kind of kind of melds the world together. That meeting of two mm-hmm. two very distinct worlds. Yeah. Obviously obviously they have fit together in the MCU, I'm not saying they haven't. But you know what I mean? Like it's kind of quite a quite a direct connection between them. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine the actual Iron Man character of Tony Stark being in Wakanda and doing what like yeah. this character does here. Because um, he never was. So I think, yeah, it's kind of like this mixture of the two things, isn't it? Mm. With, uh, it's quite a weird one as well, because when she, when she shows up in the, in the Iron Man-esque armour, I was like, oh, we're seeing Iron Man in this film. Like, it's <laughs> kind of felt <laughs> weird. Um, yeah. I, I do agree that out of all the subplots and elements of this film that are kind of uh, thrown together, I think, yeah, that that sort of arc and plot kind of I think mostly because um, she's the almost like the MacGuffin almost for a lot of the film. Um, I think that's why mm-hmm. it kind of is kind of melds really quite well with the film overall, um, compared to maybe some of the CIA stuff going on. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think like you see, yeah, like you're saying, I feel like she's a big part of the film until she's not. Um, but I do think, I think as well when it came to the ending of the film and they have this kind of moment about this car, I. I just had this feeling of, huh, I like this character, and I, I thought she was quite well used, but I just realised I don't actually know anything about her, <laughs> um, aside from just quite <laughs> smart. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see where this character goes, and I think it's I think it's well handled here. It doesn't feel like a like it's forced into the film, um, mm-hmm. in the same way like as like an Iron Man 2, for example, where there's a few elements there that I feel a bit kind of like wise is here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that character works well, and I feel like I'd be surprised if um, in her TV show that Shuri doesn't show up again because I feel like that their chemistry is very much it's very good, and and mm-hmm. yeah, again with the Spider-Man comparisons, <laughs> the scene where yeah. uh, they collect, I guess, um, Riri from her from her student apartment, um, yeah. again, this very much Spider-Man Civil War scene. <laughs> um, yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Down to the point of her saying, "I can't go to wherever because I've, I've got to do homework." Like it's the exact same thing. Um, but obviously, it has its own energy and its own fun to it. Yeah. But yeah, I just find it interesting that Marvel are not repeating scenes, but kind of almost referencing themselves now, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting because it hasn't been that long. But yeah, I guess they can do that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. With the action as well, I felt. I feel like more often, way more often than not, I really liked it, especially with the car chase and the hand-to-hand combat sort of sequences, and uh, actually the attack on Wakanda by uh, Neymar and his people. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I, do you, how do you feel about the action generally? And I guess what I'm talking about more is kind of like that's so the weird issue that these two films have now, where it's the third act just looks odd and doesn't feel quite right. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's. I think it probably comes from sort of this greater focus on like, the characters and sort of theme even and the kind of interrelationships that the action the action does feel secondary in both Black Panther films. Yeah, yeah. Um in that it's kind of kind of kind of not not strange but almost refreshing almost that again, a refreshing sounds quite drastic. But <laughs> Kind of the stereotype 
that's, that's the best way of wording it. The stereotype about comic book films, action films, and blockbusters is that the focus is always on the action and less on the characters. Yet both these Black Panther films have been the direct opposite of those stereotypes. Yeah, definitely. they have often handled characters, themes, sort of the 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 writing and sort of plot structure, and what the film's about, tends to have come above action and left sort of the film with less than impressive action sequences. Yeah, particularly I, I, in the final act. Yeah, it, for me, it's just when the, for whatever reason, with the direction of this character and this, this power set, it's this weird sort of thing where the idea is let's have the character sort of leap around really quickly and I think with more time and less projects going on and stuff like that I feel like it would look pretty good but the action for some reason with this character Black Panther being like this weird sort of rubber (laughs) rubber creature sort of jumping around (laughs) um yeah it's a bit offsetting and then when you put that with uh this sort of third act uh, finale that takes place in a cloudy midday um, on on a submarine sort of thing. It's it's a bit odd. And then I have to say I don't I don't understand the point of and I don't like the look of those uh, midnight angel suits things. Yeah. Um, I don't really get why they're in the film or and the design it, it's weird. <laughs> I, I don't they're like. They're a bit odd. The bit I oh, whenever I look at them, I was like, "That looks like it could be a Power Rangers villain." Like it, it just had a very <laughs> weird sense to it. And then when you put that, combine that with a bit of some, you know, some weird CGI, and you know, I I'm very confused by the way by the the almost constant now. Um, whenever a character in some sort of superhero costume takes a mask off, why they always look like it's just not there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't get it. Like this is one scene, particular scene where, I, thankfully, it kind of got less kind of in your face as it went along. But um, after Shuri becomes a Black Panther and then is uh, watching her army get on board the the ships and just talking to uh, the, the girlfriend of T'Challa, um, it's just it's just a green screen. Uh, it's a more cap suit and it's just Latita Wright's head floating around <laughs> um, and it, oh, it was just weird it was odd um, yeah it's distracting and I think yeah it's just an unfortunate thing with these kind of the, I guess the production pipeline or process with these films where it's just so much of them um, to the point where mm-hmm. you know it, not every shot's going to get the same amount of care and detail as the other big shot I guess um, mm-hmm. yeah so it's a bit mm, unfortunate but I just wish, yeah, I think I think these films would be helped a lot if the third act or um, the way that the Black Panther character set, like power set, was used was a bit more practical and a bit more visceral than it ends up being. Um, yeah. Because even, you know, even, I preferred it, but even like the scene on the near the end of the beach with Namor and just uh, Shuri, I'm still a bit like, was okay, we're doing a lot of flips now. <laughs> um, we're doing a lot of flips and we're doing a lot of, uh, and your mask just came off, which is bad because now you're just a floating head now. <laughs> and it's, yeah, I, I just, it's just so, I just wish it wasn't this way, I think. Because um, you kind of, I'm finding myself looking at it and hope, wish, almost pretending it's not real because I just want to focus on the good things. <laughs> um, and yeah, 
Yeah, maybe I'm going on too much about it, but I just, yeah, just... It, are there any other positives you'd like to as we kind of come to the end of the episode? <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. I've just, again, there's quite, again I, I, I like this film quite a bit. Um, I think mostly mm. as well, I just, I loved all the scenes that had to do with Shuri and her mother. Um, I, mm. I loved the way that was handled. And I think, I think the opening is great. Like the first scene in the mm. film, literally, um, is... It's kind of because in going to the film, I was kind of worried as to like you, you assume they wouldn't do certain what I would consider a bit odd or disrespectful things, but you never know because there have been films recently that have handled real life deaths a bit oddly. Um, yeah. So you, yeah, so you <laughs> you assume that they wouldn't, but you you never know, and to have the way they handle it in this film is it is really delicate and it's not at all uh, disrespectful or. Mm-hmm. It the worst feeling I think you can get around this sort of subject in the film, for me is the the, the Ghostbusters approach. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> which uh, was a bit odd, um, and I think this film never never does anything remotely like that. Um, mm-hmm. I remember being very worried when we go to the ancestral plane, and we uh, mm-hmm. we go and we look, we're going around the chair, and. I'm like, please, please don't. Because I was, I was just thinking like, well, Ghostbusters did this, didn't they? I don't want that to be the standard of like, we can do it now. Like, don't, please don't. And mm-hmm. it ends up being not at all that. Like, I was like, thank God, because like, there's a way of doing it, and I think uh, that approach is, uh, it's weird. And I, I, I don't want to speak for the people obviously involved in that production, because obviously, people involved in that film were friends of Howard Ramses and said yes so who am I to say don't do that <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but I think this is, as an audience member my, my take on it is it's like I feel like weird watching it and disrespectful watching it I think um, but the way this film handles it is kind of it mirrors the real events of what actually happened without ever yeah. directly saying like details I guess um, mm-hmm. And I love the, the, the mural being kind of the, the way that we see him presently in this film. Um, yeah. I think that that's just a connection to real life too, because obviously since his passing, there have been you know big paintings all over the world and dedicated to that character and that person. Mm-hmm. And I think to have that in the film was a very powerful way of doing it because it's, it's kind of this reflecting reality, I guess, um, in the reaction to that, that unfortunately real event. Um, and I think it's it's a smart yeah. choice as well for me to start the film on it. Um, I think I don't know if you agree, but for me, like that that opening feeling of that very uh, somber event, it didn't go away. Um, mm. And I think that's because it started the film. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that, that kind of that heaviness, that that somberness. Yeah, perfect word. Really, mm. that somber feeling is it's really just set the tone. Yeah. And the the film just remain focused on that because it is it's very well done. It's done with it's done with the respect you, you'd hope to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does kind of feel it weighs heavy in you because you know can you, you can know the reality behind it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and it yeah it's it's a really well done scene and it sets the this sort of tone for the film perfectly with that kind of respectful approach they had. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes for 
in my opinion at least, like a, a really fitting tribute to sort of what the character stands for and what the actor stood for in sort of doing what he did while he was suffering from what he was suffering from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it is, yeah, it's a perfect tribute. Yeah. I think when we're uh, discussing the, the the messiness of this film in, in terms of the plot, I feel mm-hmm. like it's important to mention that despite that, it, it that never gets lost in the film. That never mm-hmm. kind of feels kind of underneath the weight of the whole thing it gets lost like that's not the case i don't think um mm-hmm. it sort of it doesn't leave the film and i think that is what pulls it all together for me is uh the way the film despite it's sometimes too big plot um it never forgets about the most important thing about this film um and the previous film too and what it was handling um mm-hmm. sort of its themes and its ideas and also especially with this one like the idea the themes and ideas come from somewhere very, very real and very recent. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's, yeah, this film, It, I think I'm just very thankful that it's as good as it is, and it's not uh, kind of this, I don't know, like, I, I was I was really praying that it wasn't going to be some sort of uh, mess or indelicate, yeah. I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I guess as well, like, how do you feel about, because obviously it starts the film, but it also kind of ends the film. And both in the actual ending and then the post credits scene, I was just wondering how you felt about that sort of sequence. <clears throat> yeah. Um, again, I feel like the because the start of the film begins with sort of the traditional Marvel style of sort of flicking through the scenes of the MCU, but using mm. just like scenes of Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Um, that for me is that's when it kind of got me. Yeah. That's the probably probably one of the more moving and more direct aspects of of what they did and that final scene is i think the the, so the overriding feeling having watched the film and what they did with the characters is in that final scene just a sense of catharsis yeah yeah like when she when she puts those sort of those funeral robes on the fire hmm. it sounds strange to say it but it just feels so earned yeah, it does, yeah. If you know what I mean. It feels like we've really gone on a journey through grief and loss. And mm-hmm. that kind of final scene is not necessarily the moment of letting go, but it's the moment where that kind of grief and loss is sort of acknowledged and embraced fully. And mm-hmm. it's not denied like sure has been denying it for so long. And it's just a really heartfelt and cathartic moment. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that um, I... You know, me talking about music is not something that should happen on this podcast. I'm far from an expert <laughs> in it. But I do really think that the Rihanna song that plays over the credits is also like a part of that. Yeah. I think it yeah, works perfectly. It's a really beautiful song. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, it just works it works phenomenally for the culmination of both a tribute and an emotionally well crafted kind of arc and story for for that character and most of the characters in the film, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it leaves you think, with a good sense. Like what you what you want from a final scene or a final shot is to get a sense of, oh, that's what the film's about. And I yeah. think this scene at the at, at the fire with the flashback images of Chadwick Boseman, mm. I think that's the perfect the perfect kind of embodiment of that. Yeah, it's this is kind of a. This almost it ends in a tribute to him, really. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it isn't like I guess it would kind of feel <clears throat> it would kind of feel a bit weird if it was overt with it. Like I think sometimes you can risk breaking because obviously with with what you're doing, you are obviously referencing the real life event, um, the real life sort of circumstances. But there's a way of doing it that could like almost seem like it's breaking the film's reality almost. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think the way it's handled where it's, it's sort of a thematic sort of idea throughout the film of Shuri not handling grief very well um, and kind of just sort of pushing it down um, mm-hmm. and thinking about, the, thinking about literally the plot of the film, I guess, <laughs> you could say, uh, rather than focusing on what she should be dealing with. Um, mm-hmm. And to have a kind of, have the final shot be literally her sitting down and feeling grief and burning those robes. It's a really great yeah. final sort of scene and final note of the character, but also of, you know, the actual real-life people that were affected by this. Um, so it's kind of both at the same time. And I feel like the sort of flashback imagery is, I think, in, if if you have to kind of uh, make note or like reference or you want to sort of, through art, kind of deal with, some sort of real life loss. I feel like mm-hmm. using footage already in existence as a sort of uh, a real life remembrance sort of thing is probably the the best route to go. I think for that. Um, I yeah. I think I'm just, yeah. I think it's a it's a great final scene. I think after that as well. I think it might be my favorite post credit scene. Um, mm, yeah. Because like I think for me a great post credit scene with Marvel is ones that uh, I like. They are not the ending of the film, but they're like a very nice epilogue to it. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's what this ending scene is, where it's you could you could leave the cinema and have the same kind of experience with the film as soon as the script the credits start. But if you stick around for a bit, there's a bit more mm. that adds a bit more of a there's, a, there's another layer to the the final emotion of it. Um, of this like final kind of layer of a bit of hope. Um, like we were saying before, like Shuri in this film ends up with nothing in terms of family, um, and to have a, a final note of this film be uh, a, a new family, a, a new family member, um, is really quite uh, endearing mm-hmm. and quite a nice way of not um, kind of looking towards the future um, at the end of the film. Despite obviously you want to kind of mourn for the past in this film quite a bit. Um, it's nice that it ends on a, a hopeful future note. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, I do agree in that it's, it breaks the trend of a lot of post credit scene being used as kind of teasers, and I, I absolutely have no problem with that. I think it's a fun approach to them. But mm-hmm. you can't deny that there's a certain kind of emotion to this kind of post credit scene. It's, an, yeah. it's a feeling unlike any other post credit scene we've been given. It, and like you say, it's like a perfect little epilogue of... Because th- th- that, that kind of shot of Shuri by the fire on the beach is the perfect closing shot. And um, kind of having that little scene afterwards like in the main film might, might, might kind of slow the importance of that final shot down. Yeah. And so including it in like an epilogue post-credit scene, it just really works. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it gives you what it does... Is it gives you just enough time to dry your tears from the actual like final shot. <laughs> You've dried them properly, and then you get the epilogue, and then you start crying all over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
mm. it has that sort of yeah it has that nice feeling of a, a nice little uh coda or epilogue i guess yeah mm. to that story um yeah and i feel like it's i think that's when this film works the most for me is when it's it it feels like it's um tackling or dealing with a very real thing um and kind of sitting down with it um mm -hmm. and i think the film it does both quite well which is surprising for me which is it has that let's sit down and think about this horror like kind of this horrible real life thing and then also do a big blockbuster <laughs> action film and it's mm -hmm. surprising and strange but it does work quite well um because I think it picks its moments for both things quite well as well. Mm -hmm. um, like I yeah. say, like beginning, beginning the film, ending the film, and then having the middle section, which is the actual plot of the film, kind of have this arc involving a very similar sort of experience of loss as well, going through that again, almost. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah. So I think it, the film works way more than you'd expect um, about a year ago when you were, we were, I think we were all worried about this film. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, do you want to add anything else to this, or do you think this is the end? <laughs> I think that, that, that kind of sums it up, that. Yeah? Yeah, I think we've we've covered most of the, in fact, no, I think we've covered all the points there that like, I want to raise in regards to it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just, just I think it's, it's a good way to end, just focus on... Mm what it means there's an sort of an exploration of what of what real people have, have felt in relation to to death and loss and it mm -hmm. it's a really quite a moving film it's a very mature film mm -hmm. and it's one that i don't think we'll be forgetting for a while <laughs> i don't yeah, think we'll forget it all <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah is there anything it's, else uh... you want to add uh, I don't think so. I think that's, yeah, that kind of sums the whole thing up, I think, for me, which is, mm -hmm. it, yeah, it has, you know, it has its flaws, it has its issues, um, whether it be the, the Marvel way of doing things or specific sort of script sort of things going on. But I think it's important to, like, yeah, to highlight that it does, mm -hmm. it works more than of, more often than not. Oh, it works more often than not. Um, and it when it does work, it sometimes generally, like, excels extremely well. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think as well. But just want to, if you have any, <laughs> if you want to hear more from us about this subject, we do have an actual written view out already. Um, yeah. Actually, on the podcast, <laughs> I don't know why I'm ending on a plug, um, but yeah, we do have that, um, which is kind of probably more of a, uh, more of a like, kind of a, a written down kind of thorough paragraph sort of bullet yeah. point sort of almost thing. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think yeah, we can end it there. I think. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, if you have anything to say about this film, leave it in the comments below of uh, yeah, the Instagram know. post. Yeah, an Instagram post or on the Spotify kind of comments you can make um, or mm -hmm. SoundCloud. Yeah, anything, any of your providers. Uh, anywhere and yeah. anywhere. Anywhere. Uh, get in touch with us if you can uh, and we will try to get back to you as soon as possible. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's been a very been a, a fun one and a heavy one you know at the same time <laughs> yeah it has yes yeah but, but yeah. yeah it's good to talk about it yeah definitely um but yeah i hope you enjoyed i hope you enjoyed the film if you've seen it if you haven't mm -hmm. I, I think we both definitely recommend it oh, <laughs> um, yes. uh yeah but i think um yeah we'll see you next time and mm -hmm. goodbye yeah take care